to positions of hopelessness and helplessness. The government gives them the drugs, builds bigger prisons, passes a three-strike law, and then wants us to sing God Bless America. No, no, no. This is Pod Damn America, the podcast for bats and dumbasses. Um, Alex Patak is here. I'm coming out of a coffin to say hello. Yeah, we really lost the goth theme a long time ago. Anders Lee is here. Anders Lee here, wearing black. Black uh, uh, contacts that uh, make my pupils look black. (laughs) Oh, yeah, you do kind of look like that in the Zoom call. Uh, Hi, I'm Jake Flores. I'm very tired today because I was up all night watching what someone suggested to me, which is fucked up. Don't ever do this. Someone suggested I watch an anime called Devil Man Crybaby. Holy shit. I feel like my soul has been dragged through hell. Um, Tarnished. (laughs) <laughs> yeah I mean, it's it was... funny someone recommended that to you my only rec- like i get anime recommendations all the time and the only thing i've heard from that one is uh don't watch it it's fucked up <laughs> it's really fucked yeah. up it was cool though i liked it a lot but i feel like messed up after watching it which i i honestly haven't felt this weird since like maybe since i watched like hereditary and then the rest of the night was just kind of like uncomfortable from the horror so i mean good job oh. but is it... there a mother behind me what's this is this about that torturing people or something like that it's not it's about a devil man it's about a devil man that's also a crybaby which is weird how anime works where the names sound like it's like that's like nonsense and then you watch it and you're like oh it is like cowboys that are into bebop how does the fuck did they do that (laughs) every time surely this must be a mistranslation oh there he is he's crying he's got horns and he's crying it's crazy it's like um it's i don't want to give anything away in case anyone wants to watch it but it starts off about like a teenager and just like some high school bullshit and then it turns into like just the depths of like hell Oh no! It's really fucked up. It's like cranked up the pace so hard every episode that it was just like, yeah, it was about high school. Now it's about a fucking, you know, like a nuclear bomb went off. Oh, you like the nuclear bomb episode? Now it's about hell. Oh, you like the nuclear hell episode? Now it's about ah, you're gonna die. It's just the scariest thing I've ever seen. It was fucking cool. You know what's really cool? Moderate pacing. <laughs> Why don't we put that in one of your shows? Yeah. So this guy cries uncontrollably. Is that the issue? I don't want to give it away. I feel like we some, don't want to give it away, Andrew. I feel you like have to people watch should it. watch this. He does cry a lot, though. He's a he's a Anders, totally scary. Did, what animes have you watched, Anders? Evangelion. Okay. Uh, Pokemon. Arguably the Jackie Chan Adventures, although it was, I believe, an American. It's a tough sort of, argument. It's an American animation of a Chinese guy, but it was in the anime style. Uh, and um, <laughs> no, it wasn't. <laughs> it wasn't. All right, fine. No. Uh, my favorite anime was always uh, Lupin the Third because uh, one of my dream jobs growing up was a cat burglar. 
Oh, he was really horny. He was funny. Oh, yes. yes. Wait, I've heard about this before. Very horny guy. I don't know if he was he supposed to be French. I don't, he seemed vaguely yeah, European. So yeah. there is a Lupin the Third Netflix show that is a French Netflix show right now, and apparently Wait, it's that's, like a that's about that's based on Lupin the Third. So he's like a he's like a a, a a a folk tale in France of like a what if one day your baguette was gone? Lupin uh, has struck again. Lupin. Like that, that kind of thing, and then. <laughs> You know, anime anime cartoon people were like, "Yeah, we're going to steal from the French. What are they going to do about They're weak willed. They have a little cheese in their hands, and we're going to take it." Um, anyway, yeah, uh, that's pretty crazy. Uh, I'm happy you didn't become a cat burglar, and I like the paths, the choices you made on your life, and the path you've chosen here. I often think about what could have been. You know, it was since uh, I watched the movie. You remember the movie Entrapment? With the red lasers, Catherine Zeta-Jones, Sean Connery. Yeah, with her butt. Yeah. Uh, was her butt in it? Oh, yeah. It, it was featured very prominently. <laughs> it was just her front. <laughs> That's. <laughs> no, it was just her butt, dude. Yeah, she was. They needed to do a, a burglary uh, with very odd specifications. So she got a body mod where she switched around. So her front was switched with her back. Yeah. Um, <laughs> She had a, a front button installed for espionage purposes. Yeah, and that's what the entrapment was. Like that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you think it's in the back, but no. Yeah, no, it's yeah. kind of like face-off, but with... <laughs> with an ass. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that movie made me want to be a cat burglar, and then I realized that, that you, the advanced what? level they're working at requires Wait. a lot of geometry, a lot of math, and stuff that I'm just not equipped for. Wait, so, so young Anders saw the Catherine Zay Jones like laser scene. It was like I want to do that. Yeah, <laughs> I want to arch my back like a fucking cat. <laughs> of course, yes, that's very cool, cool, man. How did you ever get? Did you like ever like pursue this a little bit? Like, did you t- Was this part of the clown courses that you took at clown college? <laughs> I mean, maybe. I don't think that would help you be a cat burglar. I don't think it would help you blend in. I mean, it does maybe help you with nimbleness. But my one opportunity would have been when I was like in junior high, uh, one of our neighbors, there was like a apartment building just down the street and there was a, a bank robber who lived there uh, and robbed the bank and then drove back to his building and got arrested there instead of like going to a hideout or trying to <laughs> elude the it, it was a, kind of a boneheaded move. But I still could have been like a, you know, apprentice to this guy and maybe got him to not do that um you but, wanted to be a cat burglar's apprentice well this was a stick em up i mean cat burglars are not real is another thing i also <laughs> realized is like <laughs> if you're actually doing a heist like this there's no like it, it's all you have to do some kind of interaction with the security as far I, I don't know, maybe I, I hope I'm wrong, but as far as I know, there aren't many, if any, examples of someone actually sneaking in uh, and like eluding security and, you know, with, yeah, with like backflips and stuff. Well, right. if there was, Anders, you wouldn't know. And that's kind of the whole point. Isn't well, it? after the fact, you would know. You would realize, oh, we got robbed, and no one saw this person. But, oh, but it in reality, a it's like situation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In reality, it is you have to actually, you know, hold people hostage or 
I haven't like, seen this movie. I'm just imagining it's Catherine Zeta Jones going up to the counter and the security is like, what? I gotta I gotta take five minutes. <laughs> yeah, why do you look like that? <laughs> like the the um Saint Vincent picture that she shot of Carrie Brownstein. There's like this literally is in the news right now. A, a picture of a woman with a front butt. Front really? butt is in the news. <laughs> yeah, I can't remember. I I don't know the details. I'm not gonna be able to explain what the fuck I just said. It's okay. out there. Google it. Yeah, All check right. the show notes. Yeah, take a Pokemon <laughs> snap of it. You know, you I know you guys are out there playing it. It's the goddamn hit of the season. I. I personally can't sleep at night. I'm up snapping Pokemon all night. I Wait, I have questions about Pokemon Snap because the original Pokemon Snap is like 80 minutes long. Are you still playing this? Is there more to it? No, it's a new game. They made it long, and it's. I hope it's long. I paid 60 bucks for it, but it's. Uh, I feel like it's got more replay value than the old one. The old one had like three levels, right? Mm-hmm. I think four maybe, and you like unlocked it by like throwing rocks at a Pikachu. This is similar, but I think they added a lot to it. Like you throw apples at them, and uh, you can scan them, and you can share your pictures online with your friends. It really raises the question: Is animal photography just throwing rocks at animals and getting a picture? <laughs> <laughs> it's grossly misinforming people, I'm assuming, of how f- photography works because you throw an animal, you throw an apple at a goddamn Snorlax's head, and he just, he just goes, "That's Aww. fine." <laughs> yeah, they're just fine with it. I hope that's not what it's like because I don't want to support that industry, even though I do crave the content they provide. Yeah. Well, anybody else got anything to report on before we uh, get into our interview today? Do we cover front butt? (laughs) We we have front butt. We talked about anime. Nothing good. Nothing good. I got, you know, (laughs) what's happening? Vaccine apartheid. Uh, State of the (laughs) Union. A lot of, yeah, there's a lot of rabbit holes we could go down, but... uh, I was I surprised vaccine apartheid does not come up in this interview we did. It seems like very relevant to the conversation, but I guess just so? when you're because listening to this next part, just think about it and just think like, yeah, that's that's a good point, too. Well, yeah, something I want to underscore and that we kind of underscore throughout the, the interview is that like this is if you're a serious socialist, right, uh, you got to think about public ownership. And uh, this is a great place to start with um, making utilities democratic. And I think if we're able to do this, we can start building a campaign to uh, get people to think about other aspects of their lives, other companies that infringe on their privacy and, uh, you know, oppress people. Uh, Amazon.com has become, in many ways, a utility, right? It delivers, there are people who just get their groceries from Amazon. Um, It delivers stuff and it provides, you know, it's the, TV, you know, you watch things via not only Amazon, but if you watch something on Netflix, I believe they use a server that Amazon has. So they're like, their tentacles are everywhere. And what I'm hoping, what I'm hoping is that a campaign like this, if it's successful, people will be able to build on that. And pretty soon we're going to be talking about nationalizing Amazon and treating it like making it an actually democratically run utility instead of a, a private one. 
that is just amassing wealth and sucking money and labor out of uh, the country and world. We're going to change the way that Amazon gets its animal picks. Yeah. They won't be allowed to throw apples at them anymore. Are you tired of having to spend your hard-earned money on watching Catherine Zeta-Jones' front butt in the film? Um, I already forgot what it's called. Entrapment. Entrapment, where she does backflips through lasers and has a butt. I almost said disclosure. <laughs> disclosure. That sounds like a... <laughs> That's like yeah, that. probably what she had to sign, a non-disclosure. Hello. We're doing that and getting that surgery, yeah. <laughs> it's sad she had to get that surgery. Well, I'm for um, pro Amazon nationalization. I know it's controversial, uh, but I believe I everything you just said. I agree, Anders. All right. Well, our episode today is not about any of that shit, though. It's about public power, baby. The campaign to, uh, you know, to to move towards nationalization of the energy systems that we all use to heat our apartments and power our little fucking video game stations and uh you know our game boys we're gonna run our game boys (laughs) green now yeah and it's starting right here in goddamn brooklyn well in new york i don't know why specifically brooklyn but um if you're listening from elsewhere it's a new york episode sorry it's uh well but it's also relevant you know yeah, because... you can do something like this too it's that's the hope as well is that this catches uh maybe not fire but uh electricity it sends a, a pulse through the nation people see their friends family in new york benefiting from this program and they do it in their state because you can do it in your state too i think they're also uh here in dc i believe there's a public power campaign as well to municipalize petco which it, is a utility here it starts I'm here the campaign catches electricity cake as they say it starts here and it's one voltorb but then it expands into that weird pokemon that's three voltorbs it's like three they're just like pokeballs or no i'm thinking of magnetos and magnetons and we'll edit that out and then the the one that's just like a yellow guy with black stripes he walks by and he zaps through a pikachu and a raichu and then a beautiful zapdos flies out of the pro was this one project and spreads the electricity all over the goddamn country linking to you know um uh city (laughs) pewter city oh yeah pewter city pallet town saffronville and all the little electric pokemon all over the place and they all just go yeah and there's electricity flying everywhere, and that's this how we is, achieve public power. This is a fun bit. Joe Biden trying to remember Pokemon places. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Saffron Town, you know. <laughs> I've been to Zimbar Islands. I was the one. I put, I put the missing node there. I said, you have too many nodes. You got to fly up and down the coast. You unlock another one. That's how you get Mew. Yeah, me and Professor Oak used to throw dice together. We used to ride in a hot rod. <laughs> Breaking, uh, Joe Biden hands Jill Biden a dandelion for no apparent reason. This is news? This is news. They're covering it on right-wing media. I fucking hate it now. <laughs> you know what I was thinking about earlier? As how funny it was that just like a year or two ago, there was that New York Times op-ed that was like, I work inside the White House and I can't tell you who I am. Yeah. Crazy world we're living in. Be funny if it happened now, but it's. Uh, yeah, I bet something like that's going to happen, especially towards 
the next election season, they're going to be like, we don't want Biden to run again, but he's he's uh, not budging. It's the dog. He's already it's... handed his wife a daffodil. There's nothing we can do about it. <laughs> that means something in Biden QAnon. He's handed <laughs> off the flower. All right. All right. Well, let's get into our interview with NYC DSA Ecosocial, uh, Ecosocialist Working Group. I'll play um, avalanche music here from Final Fantasy VII to really amp up the eco-socialism. I'm on board. Cool. Hello, everyone. Uh, we are now talking to Amber, Daniel, and Charlie from the NYC DSA Eco-Socialist Working Group about the Public Power Campaign. Welcome to the show, y'all. Hello. <laughs> thanks, for, thanks for having us. You don't have to do uh, stack and stuff. You can just say hello and interrupt me and all that sort of <laughs> you stuff. You will speak when spoken to. <laughs> Finally. Uh, all right. Uh, anyways, so can you, let's talk about um, this public power campaign. Can you tell us a little bit? Can you give us a background for why this is a thing? Yeah, so I think the best thing is to just start sort of broad with the Green New Deal, um, since that is something probably people are familiar with. But just a really quick overview we all want the Green New Deal because everything is extremely fucked up by capitalism. And this just means that private corporations run everything and they run it based on how much profit it makes them and nothing else. And we get this economy that just overworks and underpays everybody. If you don't have a job, it's even worse. Uh, and then we have this energy system that a lot of the economy is built on that's built on burning fossil fuels and it's literally destroying the whole world. Um, so the idea of the Green New Deal is to fix all of this by transforming our energy system, which is a huge amount of work. Uh, and that huge amount of work means creating a huge amount of jobs. And we want to make these jobs good union jobs that people actually want, uh, in addition to a lot of other economic transformation um, that will transform and rebuild the economy into something more socialist, more equitable, more run um, based on the public good and not a few people's profits. But that's a really big thing. That's hard to do. Yeah. AOC and Marky just reintroduced the Green New Deal federally. We love it. But we're probably not going to get a federal Green New Deal that just does everything at once right now. So we sort of have to do it piece by piece based on what we can win at different levels now to get it started. And public power is um, yeah. Quick interjection, just with like a, a a fun thing to notice about the Green New Deal, just nationally right now for this moment we're in, is it feels like 
uh, uh, Democrats don't really know what to think about it or they are on either side of the issue and have nine ways of doing it as like, well, I like new deals, but do I like green things or I like yeah. green things, but do I like poor people? Um, and they, they, they split on it that way. But Republicans 100 percent understand the implications of what transforming the economy means. And you can see that because whenever you have one of one of the like new ascendant right wing MAGA uh, representatives, They'll be uh, making presentations on Congress on like the floor of the Senate and they'll have things like uh, these are the things Democrats want. They want to make gay bracelets mandatory and orcs are president and a Green New Deal. Like they totally understand this is like a like slam dunk for an ascendant left. They also understand the rule of threes. Yeah, yeah, they understand the rule of threes. They actually don't understand the rule of threes. Did anybody? Did any of you see the the uh, the viral image of the the poster I'm like referencing right now? Because there is oh, like yeah. eight things on it. No, and that's not three. Oh, uh, yeah, about the sex bracelets. Yes, that part I believe was showed photoshopped. But uh, yeah, all the good stuff we want. Oh, I was going to say they really said that gay bracelet thing. No, that that part was someone else, but the that everything else was real. That was from who? MJ MJT or uh, fuck, I'm forgetting. But yeah, oh, Bobert or somebody. Bobert, yeah. Bert, try that. They're calling like, it the Gay yeah. New Deal. Okay, um, <laughs> Gay New Deal. That's I actually mean, that's, what we're pushing for. That's not a bad idea. I mean, you know, bail out gay people. Uh, we could bail out twenty percent of Americans. That's a start. Sounds cool, yeah. man. Yeah. Um, uh, well, anyway, so yes. the public power, yeah, so public power, uh, the public power <laughs> is sort of the foundational piece of the Green New Deal that you can kind of build the rest on top of it, and it's something we can start building right now, literally in the next six weeks in New York. Um, oh yeah, the idea yeah. is we have an energy system that is owned and run by a bunch of for-profit corporations and Wall Street investors, and it sucks. They don't want to build renewables. They want to stick with their fossil fuels because they've already built them, so it makes them a lot of money. When they do build uh, renewables, they like charge ridiculous amounts of money. They do it really slowly. Uh, I know you all are actually talking about this a little on a previous episode where you're talking about the infrastructure bill. You're saying like, you know, we don't want this money to just go to like these garbage private developers who just keep it for themselves. Right. No public private partnerships. Yeah. We hate that. That's stupid. So um, the idea of public power is we will take over the energy system. We'll make it publicly owned. We'll make it democratically run. um, And we'll ensure any like infrastructure money federally will go to actually building renewable energy a resilient grid that doesn't just fall apart every time it rains and creating like good union jobs, not a bunch of union busting companies that pay as little as possible. Yeah. And like the concept of a green new deal itself can be like very broad and also very vague. Sometimes like Europe just passed, like they're calling it like a green deal and they're using like a lot of messaging from like green new deal ideas, but it's not like it, it's basically just regular old neoliberal environmental policy, you mm-hmm. know, like private public partnerships, tax credits, you know, all of that stuff, um, you know, basically getting the private sector to do things instead of just having the public do it, do it ourselves. And, you know, I think that a similar thing could happen in 
the United States as well. Like there's so many Green New Deal ideas out there, you know, some from DSA that are like really quite radical and transformative and then some from other groups that aren't so radical and transformative. And we really view public power as like the beating heart of a Green New Deal because it means that like if you have a Green New Deal with public power at its center, it means that this green economy that you're building, all of this like new green energy infrastructure that you're building, you are making sure that it's in public hands and not in like the hands of Goldman Sachs. Like Goldman Sachs just built like a solar panel and like a, a solar farm in upstate New York. And it's like tiny and it sucks. And we could just be doing things so much better if we didn't have to like, you know, rely on like, you know, the private sector desperate to squeeze like, you know, every little, you know, every little bit of profit out of uh, consumers. Well, one thing I wanted to ask about is sort of like a historical precedent for this, because I was on a meeting a couple months ago for sort of a a local organization uh, for like a Green New Deal campaign. And uh, I was saying, like, maybe we should think about, you know, having a national uh, have, having like a delineation between like national focus on like a national bill, but also like local um, municipalities in the area uh, trying to do like mini green new deals or public power campaigns and this uh old guy happened to be sort of an mmt enthusiast uh pointed out he says um well back in the 30s there was no local green new deal it was just one or it was just one new deal there were no local versions of the new deal and that sounded a little uh suspect to me uh what's your understanding of the history there in terms of like local campaigns uh in the 30s and in other points in history that have sort of like helped um get the ball rolling for like a national effort well so you know before fdr became president and you know uh kind of you know instituted the the new deal he was the governor of new york state um and when he was governor of new york state you know it was it was the depression uh and there wasn't a whole lot of, you know, Hoover was incompetent and there wasn't a whole lot of federal uh, aid coming. So FDR instituted a lot of policies in New York State that would become kind of like the baseline for the New Deal. It would become the inspiration for the New Deal. Like, uh, you know, like even now, now still like, you know, kind of state level policies, you know, become national policies. And it was the same back then. And so one of actually this, this relates uh, really well to our campaign. One of the things that um, FDR created was a uh, public authority uh, called uh, the New York Power Authority, which basically was like, you can think of it as like, you know, uh, a precursor to the TBA. It basically built a ton of um, uh, power, like uh, power generation, power transmission, uh, power distribution all throughout New York State. Um, and it's, it's one of the largest utilities in the country still today. Uh, it still exists. It provides power to uh, NYCHA, to the subways, to a lot of municipal buildings. And um, one of our bills, the bill that we are trying to get past this session, actually would uh, expand NYPA so that NYPA could provide, uh, could start building out renewable energy at just like a breakneck pace so that New York can meet its climate commitments. Yeah, we nice. should say what our campaign actually is. <laughs> we have two bills. That will okay. together create public power in New York. It will end the corporate control of our of our energy system, sort of like how Medicare for all would end for profit healthcare. Um, I think Amber is kind of our bill expert. Uh, 
I can pull out a Bernie and say I wrote the damn bill. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Got a nice. little parliamentarian here <laughs> in a way. But yeah, we uh, basically the first bill, which is the main one we're trying to get past this session, the New York Build Public Renewables Act, which as they mentioned, uh, allow the New York Power Authority to do what it does best and build out a ton of new infrastructure at the lowest possible cost. I mean, they already provide the cheapest energy in the state because they own a lot of the hydroelectric uh, plants up in upstate New York. Um, so it doesn't really make sense that they're kind of barred from building new renewable generation at this point. The only reason for that is because they private developers don't want to have to compete with them. Um, and we know that the transition to renewable energy is inevitable, but a just transition is not. So we want to make sure that this energy is affordable for everyone. Because right. right now, essentially, the way we're handling the climate crisis is in this very individualistic way, right? Like, you have to be the one to install solar panels on your roof, and you have to buy an electric vehicle, and you have to install heat pumps kind of on your own. Yeah. But what we want to do, um, because that model is totally inaccessible to most of the working class because the upfront costs are so high, we would love to see energy treated like a human right and like a public good and have those costs be distributed among everyone. So instead of an individual solar panel, you have a large community solar array that's owned by a public entity that is accountable to the people that it serves, um, that can provide affordable energy to everyone and automatically enroll low-income customers first so they don't have to jump through a bunch of hoops to actually get that energy. They should just be the first ones to benefit from this energy transition that we're seeing now. Well, I'm um, sorry, when you say solar ray, does that mean like a literal ray of sunshine or is that some sort of device? Solar or? array, yeah. Just a, a, array. Okay. a bunch of solar panels. All nice, this, nice, okay. Uh, instead of just this very one-by-one -one kind of approach of stick it on your rooftop if it works for you, but if not, you're kind of screwed. Um, but Andrews, the panels do absorb the sun's rays, so you, we're both right. Okay, who gets well, the sun, right. I guess, is what I'm going for. Is it yeah, the, uh, New York or California? Who owns the sun? sun. <laughs> <laughs> but this is actually like, I don't know, That that's actually like a really good point. Like, I think that you know, the sun, no one owns the sun, right? Like sunlight is free. Like not wind, yet. wind is, yeah, not yet. Wind is free. And yeah, like Elon Musk, part, of, part of this energy transition I is like private companies sun. basically wanting to, wanting to take over this thing, wanting to say like, we should get to own what is essentially like just free and essentially stick a price tag on it and charge consumers for it. And that's like, you know, pretty profoundly fucked up. Um, but that's where we're going with the energy transition right now. Like right. we're building wind turbines by private companies that are going to profit off of this. And then if, but if we just build this ourselves as the public, then we can actually get these free resources for free. Yeah. I guess when I was like learning about this, the thing that makes sense to me in terms of explaining this to people as like a campaign that might just be Joe Schmo walking down the street that you're going to grab and go, you got to vote for the fucking power thing is uh, that <laughs> there's already this thing called the New York power authority that was the original kind of thing set up in the New Deal that is just uh, operating to its limits right now. And there's there's no reason to be adding more private marketization on, on top of this. We could just unleash the thing that already exists as a public good that works better for us. I think when people see really that, that uh, there's just that it's in someone else's private interest to sort of mangle this thing in a way that, that messes it up and detriments the environment and also, um, you know, enriches their 
their you know their wallet or whatever it becomes a lot more clear you know because a lot of people will go this pie in the sky idea what do you mean you're going to try to nationalize this industry that already exists and you go no i mean it's like literally already there the the first bill we're talking about here just expands something that for no reason is is kind of encumbered or whatever yeah it makes like it makes a whole lot of just like really intuitive sense Uh, i think it's a very pie in the fridge idea. (laughs) Public utilities aren't like something we made up. Like in addition to NIPA, one in seven people in America get their energy from a public utility. Like the whole state of Nebraska uses a public utility and they're on average, they're a lot cheaper. They're more renewable. Um, So like, this is a thing that exists. We we're certainly going further than the existing ones for sure. But like we are taking a very successful program that is in extremely common use in the country and we're using it to do what like we literally need to do physically for the planet to continue to exist. And also what we need to do to hit our state's own legally enshrined climate targets, which we're nowhere near meeting at all. So Mm -hmm. We passed this law, the CLCPA, a few years ago, which makes some pretty strong climate targets for like how much energy needs to be renewable, how much we need to stop using fossil fuels. But the problem is we're not going to meet them. Like we're nowhere close. New York gets, like we were saying, six, five, six percent of our energy from wind and solar. So like we're not going to get to 75 percent by 2030 or 100 percent by 2040 at the rate we're going it's just like math i'm not i don't know this this governor cuomo is pretty good with numbers (laughs) oh (laughs) yeah he'll just lie about how much yeah new york power in the next few years will just be like run off of the dead covid bodies (laughs) (laughs) in like a huge furnace that's green state of new york is kind of like an ent j and is just kind of making a list of what it should do today and if it gets around to most of it that's still an improvement (laughs) that's the thing right is it like this bill's passed and yet the private energy companies are sort of shirking the responsibility in the with the rationalization of like well we just do what we do because we do things for profit so that's for someone else to solve by the time that you know the homework is due or whatever but that's like clearly not a direction where anything is arcing towards right yeah i mean they just like you know the the lieutenant governor was just at this like big opening of like a of a of a solar plant and uh you know they were they were like this is a big deal this is the future of new york state they were you know like it was upstate in buffalo they, they made a huge big deal about it full court press and it was only like 20 megawatts that can only power like a couple thousand homes that, that that's nothing and that's nowhere close to where we need to be and like if we want like 70 percent is is such a huge number and we have like what like eight nine years to get there like we are going to completely blow past that target. And there's no, like, you, you know, like the, the private industry just is not stepping up to do this at this point. Like, I don't think we have much of a choice other than to just take this, like, already existing utility that already has a record of, like, you know, being able to build out, uh, you know, energy infrastructure really fast. Uh, you know, I, I think we, we need to take them and just have them do the job that they've been doing for, you know, 80 years. Sorry to jump ahead a little bit, but I think a really good example of, uh, in what you guys have been talking about, of how this fucks over pretty much everyone in the process is the prospect of this North Brooklyn 
pipeline, this like fracking pipeline they're talking about building that, um, you know, if you, if you, with all this in mind with the climate act of 2019 and the, the numbers that we need to be hitting by a certain future date, you can look at an energy company and go, how are you starting a fracking pipeline right now? That doesn't make any sense, right? That's counterintuitive. You should be starting solar and all this other stuff. And the explanation is that private energy companies will benefit from charging us to build a new fracking pipeline and then charging us to deconstruct it when they're forced to move off of it <laughs> and then charging us to transition to whatever they fucking decide to just slipshod rapidly transition to to make it in underneath the wire. So that doesn't make any fucking are, sense. With it. Are they at least taking suggestions of places they can build it? And, uh, it's going to go like, through my apartment. You know that, yeah. right? That's where I live, North Brooklyn. <laughs> There's a gas I a few bars in mine that I'd like to... always through, like, black and brown communities, right? And that's exactly where they're building it. It's right. like, yeah, it's like Bushwick and then right through Brownsville. Oh, God. It somehow goes, like, Most around Williamsburg and, like, some big weird square or something. Yeah. <laughs> uh, did we cut off Amber? I think our legislative... Uh, aficionado here was was about to explain the other bill right please go yeah, ahead. Second yeah I, I can jump into that and that actually ties in really well with talking about the the north brooklyn pipeline because this is the bill that would really address the distribution infrastructure which is like the wires and the pipelines that they use to distribute electricity and gas so the other bill is the new york utility democracy act um, which would actually take over all the utilities into public ownership and democratic control ah. just basically literally seizing the means of energy production, which is honestly what needs to happen at this point, because these gas utilities are just going to keep building out more and more pipelines as as long as they possibly can, because that is their business model. They actually can't build renewable heat pumps or any of the things that we actually need them to do. Um, so their plan is basically just to keep building pipelines that are going to last 60 plus years, even though our climate targets basically require all of that to be shut down by 2050. Mm. Um, and then if they become stranded assets, they're going to pass millions of dollars in basically useless infrastructure costs onto ratepayers. So under this model, we can really see that like all of the profits are privatized and all of the risks and the costs are socialized. Like right now there's over a billion dollars in energy debt mounting across the state because people cannot afford their energy bills. And they're just going to try to pass that on to utility customers instead of shareholders. So their whole argument for why they should be a private monopoly in the first place is that they take on some kind of risk, but we just Mm. We see that's not true over and over yeah. again. Ratepayers get screwed over every single time, like a plant has to shut down or there's an accident. We always wind up paying for this stuff, anyways. So yeah, no, that is why we want to take them into public ownership. Yeah, and no, when it comes to this infrastructure, like we have already paid for this infrastructure many, many times over through our utility bills. It's absolutely ridiculous that this infrastructure that like we have paid for that should be public is in private hands. They're just leeching money off of us. And as Amber said, like, you know, just building out a ton of, uh, you know, fossil fuel infrastructure that we're going to have to pay for in 2050 when all of a sudden it becomes uh, illegal to operate it. <laughs> What's happening? <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Did you have something? Yeah. Everyone paused at the same time in an uncanny way, like the computer was crashing and it was very upsetting. <laughs> that was weird. Um, well, let's move on a little bit. How does labor play into this? Because, uh, you know, there is there's this thing that happened when uh, with, with Trump where, you, you know, you had like um, 
oh my god, all these coal miners and stuff like Trump when he got elected. What you know, what's going on there? Um, and a lot of them are, are unions. They're not supposed to be on our side. What the fuck is going on there? Right? There seems to be this conflict of interest where um, old style energy is unionized labor right now and uh green labor isn't and that is seems to be a problem in that it it it's not attractive first of all for people to uh to, to for us to try to sell these green jobs to people if they're not well paying and things like that and also it doesn't really function democratically so it's not in our interest either right Does yeah, that good i think I mean, I think a couple of things. I think this the climate versus labor thing. I think it's a very catchy like media thing that is slightly overstated sometimes, but there are extremely real things at the core. Like like you said, people don't want to lose their jobs, right. especially if they're like good union jobs and the kind of stuff that if they're if they're transitioning from a fossil fuel job to a renewable job they are likely to end up in a non-union job. And like, you know, we're socialists. We're not running around saying, hey, get a worse job that sucks. Like, right. <laughs> that's not a winning argument. That's not a morally correct argument. So we like we need to ensure that the stuff we say about a just transition for workers isn't just like a slogan, but it's something that is really backed up. Uh, so the New York Public Re- Build Public Renewables Act, like, so you can't, legally mandate that the jobs it creates are unionized but you can set various standards that will only be met by union jobs essentially Mm -hmm. um so we've done that right okay (laughs) just guaranteeing that nipa would be neutral to union organizing and give prevailing wages to everyone and project labor agreements and all the things that you would want to see um, and right now, the renewable industry is really not unionized at all. Um, like a very, very few renewable workers are, are in unions. So I think it's very reasonable that fossil fuel workers look at a Green New Deal with skepticism. But that's why we're fighting to pass this bill so that these are good public sector jobs that are very easy to unionize. And that's also why we're fighting to pass the PRO Act. Right. Totally. Yeah, it seems like such an important piece of it is, is appealing directly to unorganized workers who work in the energy sector because for so long the environmental movement, I mean, of course, there have always been exceptions. You know, Tony Mazzocchi is a good example, but like the, I was just realizing like I'm about to make it out of my 30s without having owned a car. And if this was like 2006, I would be getting like a little medal from some environmental organization. And like, yeah, that was the focus. 10, 15 years ago, it's just like encourage everybody to bike places, but that's not a, a, a reasonable idea for like millions of people in this country. Um, so you have to like appeal directly to their economic interests. And and I, that's why I think the fact that the PRO Act is being supported by eco-socialists is such, important, such an important dynamic uh, of this to, you know, make sure that people understand that these are one in the same in environmental and economic justice. Anders, yeah. justice are you team. about to turn 40? Yeah, are you turn 40 years old? <laughs> Did I say like make it out of my 30s? Out? Yeah. He's <laughs> just like one of those like young hot guys who's just Oops. not age and I let that slip. You no, I meant out of my <laughs> teens. No, I don't, I'm, yeah. I'm going to be 30 in uh 2 months about. I'm going to oh. You guys are both under 30. I'm so old. I'm ancient. Okay. Well, 
I'm gonna so go to about that. The, un- about the other labor thing that we we have to throw our big numbers at you. This is critical. Sure. So we have a really large report made by a bunch of like fancy Ivy League type researchers uh, about what this expansion of NIFA would actually do uh, with the New York Build Public Renewables Act. So if NIFA ends up building out, this is sort of their average projection. It could be a little more, less, a lot more maybe, who knows. But if it builds out 75% of the energy to the state, that would create 35,000 jobs in New York State. So like Goldman Sachs is running around saying like, hey, you gave us a bajillion dollars and we made 100 jobs. The New York Bill Public Renewables Act, like average projection, 35,000 jobs. Uh, and the majority of those are in the construction and like maintenance of the renewable energy. So those will all be union jobs and then like some other jobs from the kind of like economic effects of all that construction. Let me just ask why you want to get rid of hardworking, well-paying jobs, pressing the button that blows up the fracking mountain. <laughs> the unionized position we've had for easily 10 years. Some like uh, opposing political campaign video is going to be like, I work hard here at the COVID dead body Cuomo furnace <laughs> and I put food on the table for my family. Vote, vote no on prop. Blah, 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 blah. Okay. Uh, this guy just I mean, I think I actually like skin off of my boots every morning and get to work. He's shoveling old ladies into a fiery pit. <laughs> And then it's I, like I an American it, it flag shows, behind him. I, I think it shows just how, like, I don't know, profoundly fucked capitalism is when, like, there are people who are, like, extremely dependent on jobs that are, you know, absolute, like, you know, coal mining jobs not only destroying the planet, but, like, destroying the landscape of those communities. And, like, your job is so important, right? Like, your health care comes from your job. Your, your, your housing comes from your job. Everything comes from your job. So, like capitalism is able to perpetuate itself by basically saying like look you're going to destroy all of these jobs and you're going to destroy all of these livelihoods and that's why you know it is so important that you know we have a green new deal program that allows for the creation of like good union replacement jobs and also just like straight up just like giving pensions to people who have worked you know 30 years in fossil fuel jobs like you know you don't need to work anymore like go go enjoy your retirement and a lot of people in these jobs like do understand this i think like there's this idea that like they're just like these brainwashed coal miners who love coal or whatever that's not true like we've seen even even in the last month like coal miners uh in like west virginia alabama like are demanding a just transition like yeah the united mine workers just came out in favor of a just transition it was Mm -hmm. it was huge I mean, you know, they know they go into a coal mine. It's super dangerous. It's wrecking the place they live. Like, they understand this stuff. They just, you know, people need to keep their good jobs. Right. They need a solution other than, like, making half as much for coding or something or having to spend 10 years retraining or whatever. Yeah, I mean, solar, like, jobs in the renewable energy sector, in the private renewable energy sector, really are not like if you're working in a union job in a in a fossil fuel uh in the fossil fuel economy you're making like you know 60 70 80 dollars an hour but you know places in like in new york state that are installing renewable energy panels that are building out renewable energy panels that's only 15 dollars an hour mm. how are you supposed to have a transition like that like of yeah. course people aren't going to want to shift jobs but like 
That's why our bill is so important, because we will set prevailing wage standards. We will make sure that these are good paying jobs uh, that will be filled with union labor so that, you know, this is something where you could switch over and basically have the exact same quality of life that you're having, uh, you know, with your fossil fuel job, if not a better quality of life. Can well, I ask a cynical question to dramatize the moment in a, in a shameless <laughs> bid for clicks and retweets? Um, is there what is the public perception right now? Is like one of these bills more controversial than the other? Is it like a, a neck and neck kind of situation? Is, is the lobby fighting one? Like, are we going to have an expanded NIPA that just works with Con Edison or something? Um, <laughs> this is like a lot of. We don't, we don't want to give you all our insider knowledge in public because, <laughs> you know, we have all the um, I think what we can say is that, like, there is literally no reason to not pass the New York Build Public Renewables Act. Um, I mean, we've gotten some bad faith pushback that, mm. with arguments that don't really make sense against it, but <laughs> it is revenue neutral because NIFA can issue their own bonds, so they don't even have to raise taxes to basically invest billions of dollars in building public renewables. So nice. there's no good reason to not just let NIPA do more of what they are good at and provide affordable energy and create jobs. Like that is, I hate the word bipartisan, but everyone should support that. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. Politicians love being like, love hearing, Hey, yeah, we're going to create 35,000 new jobs and you don't have to raise taxes to do it. Their, their eyes light up. That's, that's exactly what they want to hear. Um, it's funny. I was actually looking at like our the list of our supporters and for the Build Public Renewables Act and the expansion bill, and it like really does go from like we have like literal socialists supporting it all the way to like the most moderate members of the state legislature. Mm-hmm. And I think that's like it's a weird position for like a socialist organizer to be in, but I think it's like a testament to you know the power of our organizing, the power of our statewide yeah. coalition, and also just like the power of like a very good idea. Um, and I think that's something that's uh, really cool about like this campaign. And I think about socialist ideas in general, that they can kind of uh, sometimes just like totally break through with like a transformative idea that can like win broad support. Um, and I think that's pretty fucking cool. Well, one thing I want to ask about, too, is it, you know, when I've heard the president say a couple things that sort of caught my ear, he's, he's saying that, you know, I don't know if he's used the term just transition, but he has said that we want green jobs that are union um to what extent is what the republicans say true which is that uh he, all he's doing is taking the name off the green new deal and slapping the biden plan on it is that to what extent is it inadequate or or what how much i uh, wish republican fever dreams about Biden were true. I, okay. I wish Comrade it's so Biden bad. is deep undercover right now. <laughs> yeah, we can't like, blow it for him on our radio program. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I mean, Biden's infrastructure bill is better than nothing, but it is grossly inadequate for uh, the times that we're meeting. I think, like, we need to be investing, uh, you know, something like 3% of GDP every year in renewable energy. His bill is, like, less than 1% of GDP. I think those are the numbers. He's only really spending a trillion dollars on um, climate change over the course of 10 years, which is a paltry sum. We need to be spending literally 10 times that uh, to get where we need to go. So I think that like it is a testament to the left and the power of a Green New Deal in that Biden is not trying to push like cap and trade or a carbon tax or some market mechanism. He is, you know, pushing just straight up federal investment. 
But um, it's nowhere near where it needs to go. It's filled with a bunch of credits. It's still doing private partner, private public partnerships. It's still like what I would call very neoliberal policy. Um, yeah. And that sucks. And uh, I wish the Republicans were right. Yeah. So it, it seems like a lot of this comes down to the state and local level and, and pushing uh, to see as far as to try and go as far as we can. Um, one other thing I want to ask about, as I mentioned MMT earlier, I can be I still don't know who's right on that. Uh, I'm you know, we are all kind of idiots when it comes to many things, including nuclear power, which uh, I also don't know which way the wind blows. No pun intended on that. I've, I've heard uh, arguments that it's uh, makes sense to invest in that. I've, I've heard other ones that it's uh, not a good idea and we should just focus on wind and solar. Uh, there are a lot of nuclear socialists. There are a yeah. lot of weird, like we got to go back people. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. Sometimes they sound convincing. I'm, yeah. I'm easily, easily bought off. Amber's going to unleash some nuclear power <laughs> on this argument. Okay. <laughs> Let's hear it. Let's hear it. My least favorite argument, especially like, from a socialist perspective, I mean, I'm just going to speak for myself because we don't have an official stance on nuclear as a working okay. group. But first of all, it doesn't really make economic sense at this point to be investing in new nuclear because it's already way more expensive than solar and wind is. So we should just be investing in the cheapest ways to cut emissions. Um, and nuclear is really slow to build. It takes a lot of time and a lot of money. And often nuclear plants go way over budget. So like, for example, on Long Island, they build the Shoreham nuclear plant, which didn't even open. It went billions of dollars over budget. And then it left rate pairs with this basically stranded asset that would cost billions of dollars that they had to pay for over the next you know, 50 years. And we're still subsidizing nuclear plants to a tune of like $7 billion to keep them open. So it's just really expensive. And that's just ignoring all of the health risks of routine radiation leaks and uranium mining in like indigenous communities and all of the harms from that. So it's not really needed to meet energy demand. I mean, if I hear someone say the sun doesn't always sh shine and the wind doesn't always blow one more time, I might scream because <laughs> we all know that by now. And there are other ways to address intermittency. Like we can have a smart grid. We can have demand management where you use, you know, have electric car chargers in washing machines running at night instead of during the day because mm. peak demand management is really the thing that ma matters the most for reducing energy use. We need energy efficiency, we need renewables, and we can meet like 99.9% of our energy needs with, with just that alone. Um, so a lot of people were freaking out because uh, Indian Point shut down actually yesterday after a decades-long fight to close it because it was really unsafe. Uh, it was like rated number one for risk of meltdown due to earthquake, which would have put Whoa. all of the in danger. Um, and a lot of people don't realize that. So personally, I think it's a good thing that it shut down and we just have to keep fighting for renewables with things like the Public Renewables Act. But Okay. I mean, I am sympathetic to the argument that we are going to probably need more super powered people and the radiation might create some of those. But uh, okay. I do want to ask one more question about like if this stuff passes, what is like the day-to-day -day practical difference going to be for uh, consumers slash citizens um, when it comes to these systems, like their actual involvement in them? Are they going to have like a democratic say in how these things are run? Uh, are they going to notice a difference at all? What's that, what's that going to be like for, for your average 
New Yorker? So like the first thing, let's say we pass build public renewables this year, which we're very hopeful about. Um, <clears throat> the first thing that's going to happen is if you are, you know, in a frontline community, which we're basically you know, going to define as anyone who is like uh, disproportionately impacted by climate change. So, you know, you were in an area hit by a heart by Sandy, for example, the first thing you're going to notice is you will be automatically enrolled in a, uh, in, in basically getting energy from NIPA. So if you look at your energy bill, the like, there's two parts. The first part is like where your energy comes from. And then the second part is like, you know, the Con Ed uh, distributing it costs. You, you pay two costs. That first part, you're going to notice the price drastically goes down because you're getting it from NIPA and it's renewable energy and renewable energy is, you know, basically free. Um, you'll notice that. Eventually, even if you don't live in a frontline community or a member of a, of a marginalized group, you'll notice that your bill is going down and that you're getting renewable energy from NIPA as NIPA starts building out more and more renewable energy and is able to provide it to more and more people. Now, if for some reason you don't like uh, cheap, clean electricity, you can opt out, but you're probably not going to opt out because we all like cheap stuff. Uh, that's the first thing you're going to notice. Then our second bill, uh, the New York Energy Democracy, the New York Utility Democracy Act, which uh, takes over every private utility in the state, that's when you're really going to start notice huge changes. You're going to notice that you're not getting your bill from Con Edison anymore. You're getting it from a public company. You'll notice that uh, come election year, there's going to be, uh, you can actually, you will be able to vote for the people who run your power authority. You're going to get a campaign from them. You're going to be, you might even be a part of those campaigns. You'll be able to take part in the democratic decision-making of, of your public utility. You'll start noticing that your energy bills are starting to go down even further as we remove the profit motive completely. You'll notice less blackouts. You'll notice a surge of new construction as we start repairing our grid that's been in like a state of collapse for a couple of decades. You'll notice that there's less and less blackouts. These massive blackouts you're hearing every summer, less uh, manhole fires, less blackouts affecting you. And maybe the most important You'll notice that if you're not able to pay your bill for whatever reason, you're not going to get a shutoff notice. Right now, if you don't pay your bills for like two months, you get a shutoff notice. If you rely on electricity for health reasons or for whatever, uh, you can try to enroll in a plan, but chances are you're shit out of luck. Uh, you will notice that that won't happen anymore. It'll be like, you know, our municipal water company where if you can't pay your water bill, it's okay. You're not going to get your water shut off. And with this, you won't get your power shut off. So you'll notice like, a pretty substantial transformation with both of our bills. Like the whole way that you interact with our, with you, with our energy system uh, will be completely different and you'll have a lot more control, a lot more power and you'll be paying cheaper prices. Well, nice. speaking of like worst case scenarios, let's talk about how this contrasts with what just happened in Texas with the entire <laughs> fucking grid going down and people, you know, using snow to uh, power their toilets and, uh, you know, this weird papering over by Greg Abbott of, uh, you know, Oh, it's it's because of socialists that this happened or whatever. How how, how explain to my listeners how that was a, a you know a byproduct of the private nature of the grid down there and how uh, public power would work better. Yeah, I mean Texas actually did have a public utility called Austin Energy that was connected to the rest of the grid in the country and performed a lot better during that blackout and people only were out. We're without power for like five minutes who had that utility versus the rest of the state that has this private profit seeking utility that is really not democratic um, and really just did not care about saving people's lives when it was an emergency. Um, and a lot of that 
came from deregulation, which meant basically that Texas's grid was separate from the rest of the country. So when they had a shortage, they couldn't import power from other states. So a little bit of that is kind of just like the libertarian nature of Texas. And we really need to be building like a federal super grid that can transport, you know, energy from one part of the state that's really sunny or windy at a certain time to another part of the state that needs the power. But I mean, generally speaking, like public utilities are twice as reliable because they have an incentive to invest in resiliency measures um, and they have an incentive to actually be accountable to the people they serve rather than just cutting corners wherever they can. Yeah. And like to tell you about like my personal nightmare, like I don't think like what happened in Texas, I think like is very much a result of their policies, as Amber said, not being connected to the grid. Also, just like Enron fucking around in the 90s and like passing a bunch of shitty legislation. Um, But honestly, like something like that could absolutely happen here. And it's like kind of a thing I'm absolutely terrified of. Um, In 2019, uh, there was a heat wave. It wasn't even like that big of a heat wave. Like I grew up in New York and like it was not like a particularly hot heat wave. Um, There was a heat wave and Con Ed said that they could handle like a certain amount of electricity like a certain electricity load, uh, you know, in the summer during a heat wave, people are running more air conditioners, increases the electricity load. Um, we did not hit that number. The amount of electricity that was consumed was I think like 3000 megawatts or something below that number that Con Ed said they could handle. There were still massive blackouts that week. Like that was the week that Times Square went dark. That was the week people were trapped in the subways for like an hour and a half, which is another nightmare of mine, oh, yeah. uh, in Brooklyn, tech- yeah, in, in Brooklyn, tens of thousands of people lost power. Uh, in, in Staten Island, in the Bronx, like all over the city, tens of thousands of people lost power. And we did not even go over the limit that Con Ed said they could handle. Like we were still below the limit. Then last year, uh, the tropical storm uh, Isaias came through. And again, we had massive blackouts. And this was like not a hurricane. This was a tropical storm. Again, the winds were under what Con Ed was projecting. And still, it was, I think, the second worst storm-related blackout since Hurricane Sandy. And it wasn't even a hurricane. Um, and this is all because, like, our grid is just completely, uh, like, Con Ed is not doing anything to replace the grid. A report from their own union said that Con Ed does not fix something until it breaks. They just put band-aids on things. Yeah. So, like, I am very worried that, that we, we had, two years in a row, massive blackouts that, like, we had never seen before that were caused, first of all, by a heat wave that wasn't as bad as expecting as expected, and then by a hurricane that wasn't as bad as expected. What happens when we have a really bad heat wave that's way worse than we're expecting, or a hurricane like Hurricane Sandy, and with climate change, these things are getting more and more regular? Um, that's the thing I'm really worried about, and I'm really worried that we're going to see uh, a, a situation like Texas, where you know people in the summer heat, in the aftermath of a tropical storm, or a hurricane are just like experiencing like a week long blackout on like a truly massive scale. I'm truly terrified of that. Um, I was terrified of it last summer and it kind of happened. I'm terrified about it this summer. Um, so yeah, I, I don't think the situation in Texas is like so alien to us, even though we, we supposedly live in a, in a blue state and a progressive state. No, it didn't sound like it at all. I mean, I, I moved up here from Texas in around like 2013 or so. And I remember hearing there recently had been some kind of crazy blackout, uh, you know, citywide thing in New York. And also, um, I guess one thing that really stuck with me, I was, I was watching this comedian, Sean Patton, at the Knitting Factory. And he was just saying, uh, 
he phrased it in a way that it made a lot of sense to me. He was like, we have hurricanes now? And I was like, yeah, what the fuck? I had never heard about a hurricane hitting New York until I fucking moved up here. But it sounds like climate change just caused this to be like, surprise, there's a new thing that happens in New York that, uh, you know, wasn't, I guess, at least as regular or something like that. So all Keeping of this New is... York on the edge. <laughs> it's all connected. Yeah, and it's... It's absolutely a thing like, you know, in in the aftermath of Sandy, there were massive blackouts. Um, in like the cases of the blackouts that happened the past two years running, like climate change definitely played a factor for sure. But like really kind of not investing in the grid played the biggest factor. Like if we just had like a utility that regularly maintained the grid, we would have had like, you know, a couple of blackouts. It would have been very minor. But instead we have this company that like can't even plan for like, you know, uh, like, like you know, the the uh, a not worst case scenario. What what happens when worst case scenario hits? And like, yeah, like you said, like climate change means that like we're gonna have worse heat waves. We're gonna have like you know another Hurricane Sandy. It's just gonna happen, and we're not prepared for it. And we're not prepared for it because we have a private energy system that profits from neglecting the grid. If they have to, you know, repair the grid, that means they have to spend money, and that means money that doesn't go to their shareholders. Well, let's talk about the system a little bit more. Uh, tell me about this this part of the bill that deals with these things called ESCOs. What the fuck is an ESCO? Yeah, so ESCOs <laughs> are uh, also just we, we, we could go on Con Ed for like 20 hours straight, but also just important to know, Con Ed charges the second highest rates for energy in the entire country. So we are paying the second highest rates in the entire country, we are not getting the second best service. I will just say, yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, shit. Um, but yeah, ESCOs uh, pretty related. ESCOs are like you energy people who like try to get you to save the planet by buying renewable energy. Like when you're in a movie theater or at a park or whatever, they table you, they send you mail, they come to your door. So. ESCO, it's short for uh, energy service company or something. I forget. Um, basically, they are a combination of snake oil salesmen and middlemen. What they do is they don't actually like create any energy. They sort of capitalize on your desire to like help the planet by having renewable energy. Um, but what they do is like use this complex set of financial trading mechanisms to resell you energy from somewhere else. So like some renewable energy is generated somewhere, they do some financial stuff and then charge you like a bunch of extra money on top of it that just goes to them for not doing anything and you get some energy. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty much a scam. They're all mostly tied to fossil fuel companies so they're not like really they're not changing anything they're essentially just middlemen collecting right. a bunch of money by making you think that they're giving you renewable energy the other issue with them is they're extremely predatory they're not very regulated so they'll give you a rate and then six months later they'll send you like one letter that nobody ever sees that doesn't really make sense but what it means is we're switching to a variable rate now, which means they can vary the rate. So they jack up the rate a ton and you're just stuck in this contract. You have to pay this huge rate that's even higher than like the average rate in your area from Con Ed or whatever. Yeah, my aunt um, got uh, 
my aunt, like, uh, th- this happened to my aunt, like, someone came to her door and was basically like, hey, you want cheaper energy? And she was like, of course. Uh, and they were from Inesco, and, and they basically offered her, you know, it was basically like the same subprime, like, a loan scam that, like, caused the financial crash. Someone basically said, like, you know, this will be your new rate. She was paying a lower rate for three months. And then after three months, they jacked her rate up. And all of a sudden, she was paying so much more for energy. She could barely afford it. And she couldn't get out of the contract. She ended up having to write to, like, the district attorney or uh, the attorney general to get out of it. It was a really difficult, really shitty situation. And, you know, these are companies that prey on uh, the elderly, people where English is in their native language. They send, like, uh, bills in the mail that look like past due notices. I've gotten them before and, like, freaked out because I thought I hadn't paid my bill. Um, they're they're terrible, and there's there's no reason at all for them to exist. Right, I did feel obligated at this part because I've been making fun of Anders so much for falling for a scam that I did sign up <laughs> for Green Mountain Energy in 2018. So it's not just the elderly; it's only mostly the elderly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, they should just not exist. It's ridiculous. Um, My so favorite fact. My favorite fact about them is there's this one called Clean Choice Energy, which is like this. It's like Green Mountain Energy. They're all like, get renewable energy from us. Feel good about yourself. And they're like literally owned by NRG, which is this like massive fossil fuel company that's trying to build a frack gas plant in Astoria right now. Right. But the the little flyer is a picture of a river on it. So you're looking <laughs> at it like, yes, more of this. We will plug this you is what I would like. Yeah. yeah. The other thing is like, if you end up in all this utility debt and you get your electricity shut off, that can like trigger evictions. Like it can really ruin your life if you are like a low income person who they target. So um, we do have the caveat that we're only banning for profit ESCOs. There's nonprofit ESCOs, which are kind of different. Some people get worried that we're going to ban them. We're not banning nonprofit ESCOs. If you're a nonprofit ESCO listening, you're good. Don't worry. <laughs> what do the nonprofit ESCOs do? Uh, it's ba- so basically, there's like um, some community. A lot of communities will have um, like community solar arrays, things like that. Basically, like you know, a uh, it's a uh, you know some kind of renewable energy project that's owned by the community, and uh, they're great. It's a great way for communities to have ownership of their energy systems and. The way they're structured is basically an ESCO because um, you're like getting energy from this place and, and paying it on your bill. So we don't want to ban that. Um, those aren't predatory. Those are community owned, like renewable energies. They're great. Um, so we're only banning the for-profit ones. Word. Good ESCOs. Good ESCOs. Cool. All right. Well, here, I'm going to pause real quick. Okay, uh, so rounding out a little bit, uh, so let's just talk about the campaign itself, eh? Uh, yeah. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so so uh, we were part of a statewide coalition with a lot of other groups, other DSA chapters, like groups like Food and Water Watch, Sane Energy, We Act, Metro Justice. I'm not going to list them all. It'll take a while. But... I think it's important because since Biden won, there have been a lot of random people tweeting online all this stuff about DSA and and like what constitutes real political change. I just want to say, like, we are not just some random people, all these groups. We are groups that have won stuff. We've won stuff this year. We've won stuff last year. A month ago, you know, we played a huge part in the Tax the Rich campaign that stopped New York State from just horrible austerity 
and one, a historic like $4.5 billion tax increase. And this prevented mass layoffs. It saved people's lives. Like, and this probably wouldn't have happened without DSA sweeping legislative elections in the state last year and getting all these people in there and our campaign that mobilized like a bajillion people to do all this stuff in New York. And mm. like, you know, we played a big part in the, the historic rent reform a couple of years ago that prevented thousands of evictions. This is like, these are political campaigns that make really tangible differences in people's lives. And they're real, you know, when you're just sitting there on the internet, you can lose perspective. I do it all the time, trying not to. But we have a strategy that we've developed. And if we do it, we will win. We can win the New York Bill Public Renewables Act this legislative session, which ends on June 11th. Uh, The only question is, will enough people join in to help us win? Um, yeah, and if you're listening to this and you're like, wow, this sounds like a super great vision. I'm excited about this. I want this to happen. Like, we literally need you. Like, the the thing, the number that matters for us is, like, how many people are getting signed up to our phone banks? How many people are getting to email and call their legislators? How many people are getting to come out to our campuses? Like, those are the numbers that matter for us winning. If those numbers are high enough, we win. If they're not high enough, we're, we're not going to. Yeah. Awesome. Well, we have a, like a lot of listeners in New York. We're a New York-based podcast. So if you're listening and you would like uh, public power instead of some bullshit fucking national grid shit, I'm staring at the bill right now. It's making me so, so mad. Uh, get, yeah, get off your ass. Pitch in a little bit. This could be good for all of us. Do you hate shit? Yeah. Sign up I for mean, the phone bank. Do you want a Green New Deal or do you want Goldman Sachs? That is like yeah. literally the choice you're making, you know? So if you want a Green New Deal, you know, in our meetings and stuff, we don't want to make let anybody leave without like a clear idea of what they're doing. So we don't want to let you finish listening to this podcast without a clear idea of what you're doing. <laughs> right. Um, so super easy thing if you're in New York, New York State, uh, anywhere in New York State. Go to publicpowertoday.com and just email your reps. Um, a lot of reps just like, you just got to tell them about the bill, they'll sign on. That's like yeah. sort of the first step. Oh, do you uh, listen to this podcast and do you j- enjoy harassing people online? Well, listen, here's the way you can do that for good. Stop yeah. emailing me and email your representative yeah. and maybe something will you can, actually you can also tweet at your representative. Uh, a lot of state legislators are also addicted to Twitter. So, like, I just got a state senator to sign on just by tweeting at him. So, like, nice. harass your state legislators. Bully them on Twitter. Like, this is a very good way to get them to sign on to legislation. Uh, they are technically people. Yeah. The thing about the reps, though, is statistically they are by and large nerds. So it's they're, they're very vulnerable to bullying if you're looking to do that. Yeah. Do like this you, one of those, you know, screenshot their old tweet. And you could just send them a picture of like their state ID or something. Yeah. That's so, fun. So that's, that's sort of the easy thing you can do in literally a minute. But if you're really inspired, you really want like a Green New Deal, you want to stop scrolling through Twitter wondering why everything is so shitty and you want to start making it less shitty. Um, you know, we're all just some random people like, and we're doing this and you're a random person. You can do it too. Uh, we're doing these phone banks where instead of us calling, we call constituents in other districts, um, who are represented by like key, uh, state officials 
and we talk to them and then we have them call their uh their rep so like you know calling can kind of sound like if you're just thinking like calling like what is that going to do if a state legislative person gets like 30 or 50 calls about a bill in one day they will like freak out that you know they usually get like one call a day maybe and it's like about somebody's parking ticket or something Mm -hmm. it's actually like a really big deal this is a strategy that works we used it on the tax the rich campaign we're using it on the national pro act campaign we know it works housing campaign yeah so so like it's it's like a really strategic way to use like a large amount of people on like a few particular targets so, yeah, and every time, every time a uh, uh, sorry for interrupting you, Charlie, but every, every time that like a fo- someone calls into the office, they think of that as potential voters. So like, I forget what the numbers are exactly, but like, if someone calls in and says like, I support this, they'll think about it as like three hundred voters in their district supports this. So like, after you get to a point where it's like you know ten voters, if ten people call in, in their mind they're like, oh, that's three thousand people who support this thing. My job could potentially be in jeopardy if I don't support this so it that, that that's why it works and it's insanely effective yeah i mean we got joe mansion to co-sponsor the pro act doing this like i was wondering how that happened we talked about it but yeah on the show um yeah no you, you know the thing that you do on twitter all day to people like me do it to someone who actually matters <laughs> and they might actually <laughs> answer you it's so uh, if you want a phone bank i'm going to give you a particular time wednesday uh, May 5th, 6 p.m. Go to bit.ly slash poddamnphonebank. We made you a Billy. Oh, wow. It's a few hours of phone banking. That's like the length of two podcasts. So skip two podcasts <laughs> and win the Green New Deal. You can that's do it. Right. Or one poorly yep. edited podcast. I was going to say, yeah, it's actually yeah. just yeah, one of ours. Really big podcast. <laughs> and if, if you can't make it Wednesday, you can just go to our website, ecosocialist.nyc slash upcoming events and you can see all the events we got going on until the end of the session you can sign up also like go to our website anyway if you want to learn more about the bills get on our listserv get involved um ecosocialists.nyc is it's a great place to do that and you can also visit publicpowerny.org and that has the call script if you want to call your own reps it has the one pager about what the bills do and what the bill numbers are uh, if anyone asks you, it's Bill A one four 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 six six and S six four five three. You have to be very precise about those numbers, otherwise you might get a weird bill that someone will sign on to instead. I, I called someone and they were like, "Is this about the e-cigarettes?" And I was like, huh. I, "I mean, unless Maybe. there's some other form of power, I don't know about. I don't think so." Yeah. We need to get our grid off of e-cigarettes. <laughs> it contain many of the same risks as standard cigarettes. The Green New Deal, it's green because it's menthol. That'd be cool. But... Jewels are not renewable energy. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> All Chaos right. emeralds are renewable energy. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, help us in our plan to capture Sonic the Hedgehog so we can harness <laughs> the power of the Chaos Emerald. I'm out. I'm out. You can you edit that part out? We can't. That's not public. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm. The working it. group does not endorse capturing Sonic the Hedgehog, comrade Sonic the Hedgehog. <laughs> <laughs> he seems like renewable energy. You can just put him on a little hamster wheel. Um, yeah, he'll go forever. I think I just described slavery. All right. Well, I think we're done here. Um, 
Public power. I'm excited about it. I'm jazzed up about it. I hope everyone else is. Let's fucking do it. Uh, thank you, Amber, Charlie, and Daniel, NYC, DSA, Eco-Socialist Working Group. Uh, is there anywhere else that my listeners can find anything that you like to plug or anything like that? Any resources before we get out of here? Uh, yeah, just that website, ecosocialist.nyc. If, if you want to get involved, that's kind of like the good place to do that. Um, yeah, we're on social media. You can follow us there. Yeah. No, don't follow me. <laughs> don't follow Charlie. If you see me tweeting, tell me to stop. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Wait, cool. Amber, plug the Twitter. Sorry. Oh, my Twitter, it's uh, at NYCDSA underscore ecosoch. That's E C O S O C H. Cool. All right. Thanks, y'all. Yeah, thanks so much. Bye. 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 Anybody got anything else to plug? Uh, Alex, go ahead. And plugs. Hello. You can follow me on Twitter at Patak Jokes. And you can come to the new and exciting comedy show, Paid Protest, the ACAB Ball, tomorrow, May 2nd at 5.30, where we will have great stand-up comedians such as Jake Flores and others. I love others. Tickets for that are online. And we've already raised a lot of money for defunding the police, but you can still chip in. And I'll have that on the Poddam Twitter. Anders, you got anything? Just add Anders Lear on Twitter. Check out Redacted Tonight, Portable.tv, and YouTube. Uh, my plug is that I'm on that ACAB ball show tomorrow on Sunday, the 2nd of May. And um, you should sign up for our, dis- our Patreon so you can hang out on our Discord and listen to our bonus episodes and bother us through another app. And... Um, yeah, that's it. And also we have merch. That's it. That's plugs. That's it. Feedback. It's green finished. It's public power finished. It's turned it's off. It's green finished. It's powered. It's you're evicted. It's shut down. Get the fuck out. <laughs> Turn the show off. Con Edison.